Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is September 24th, 2018. It is Monday, and we are already consumed by, I'm going to say this, dildo gate and a potential constitutional crisis. Hey. Can I, can I get off this podcast now? I mean, is that <laughs> possible, Charlie? You know that it's going to get worse. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sitting there yesterday realizing I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to Google the term dildo gate. And, you know, and, and then the, the phrase pulling a train, which is going to, I hope, um, is, is, is novel for some of our listeners. But, you know, this, this, has been the, this is the one prediction that, that I think you could make and, and be willing to, to, to stick with. Is whatever's happening now, it's going to get worse. Uh, so uh, joining me today, John McCormick who's been all over the Kavanaugh case, and Mike Warren, who is uh, standing by trying to figure out what is going on at the White House because here, here, here's something else. Uh, something is going on with Rod Rosenstein. And right now, we're not exactly sure, but the stakes are huge. So we're going to talk about that in a moment. Let's just start off. I want to start off with two things. Uh, the, the, the Kavanaugh Wars, um, the latest revelation, and some comments by – a Democratic senator from Hawaii, which uh, on, on one level I think are breathtaking, on another level maybe refreshingly candid. So, John McCormick, let's just start with you about this New Yorker story. Up until yesterday, and feel free to disagree with me on any of this stuff, yesterday there was sort of a sense that, you know, Ronan Farrow and Jane Mayer were kind of the gold standard. You know, when they broke a story in The New Yorker One of those about, two. about Me Too, um, it, was, it was going to be solid, it was going to be well-reported, and it was probably going to be a dagger. And late, and there was rumors all day yesterday that there was another story about Kavanaugh, and they come out with a story that I have to tell you, I'm 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 sort of vacillating between saying it's really weak tea and saying that it is absolutely stunningly irresponsible and outrageous because it is so poorly sourced. So just give me your take on the latest, and of course we'll get to Michael Avenatti's uh, emails as well. But uh, your your take on on the New Yorker story and the way it's being received? Well, of course you have to talk about the facts uh, laid out in the case to explain why it is so thinly sourced. Uh, the allegation involves uh, you know Kavanaugh during his freshman year at Yale, uh, allegedly uh, drinking late one night with the number is unclear. Several people, uh, including a woman named Deborah Ramirez, and she now alleges that he uh, exposed himself uh, to her. Uh, he denies this. Uh, two people who are allegedly there, according to her, have denied this. And she herself, in the New York article, the New Yorker paraphrases her saying that she initially was uncertain about Kavanaugh's role in this incident, uh, but after six days of assessing her own memories and consulting a lawyer, she felt more confident and could make this allegation. Um, an even more important piece of reporting uh, came out in the New York Times, and that was that in private conversations with other Yale classmates over the past week, she was uncertain whether Kavanaugh mm -hmm. was the person who did this in her recollection. And the uh, New York Times talked to dozens of classmates mates dozens of them, and they were unable to find a single person to corroborate this story. Yeah, and the, and so the New Yorker says that they have a corroborating source, and that person is, one, anonymous, and two, was not present at the time. Uh, Jane Mayer said this morning that, quote, someone uh, at this alleged party 
uh, told him that and that he was confident. But again, these emails, I guess, have been circulating around since July, uh, according to who reported that? Somebody reported that, <laughs> that since July, emails have been circulating about whether Kavanaugh was involved in this incident. You, do you recall this, other classmates? So as these emails are circulating around, she's calling and asking her friends you know, about their recollections of it, trying to you know, assess her own memories of the incident. Um, so, you know, very, very, very thin. Uh, I think it's safe to say if there were not a uh, potentially imminent Supreme Court vote on a very important seat that could potentially swing the court, uh, this article would not have run. Uh, I think that that is safe. Uh, I want to read what the New York Times reports. The, the Times had interviewed several dozen people over the past week in an, in an attempt to corroborate her story and could find no one with firsthand knowledge. Ms. Ramirez herself contacted former Yale classmates asking if they recalled the incident and told some of them she could not be certain Mr. Kavanaugh was the one who exposed himself. And the well, way, even the way yeah. she, it is described in the New Yorker article where when she first talked with them, she says, yeah, I'm just not sure it was him. And then waits six days to say, yeah, having thought about it for the last six days, it was him. And, and I and think and I think that New, that New York Times story is so much more devastating than the way yes. that the New York Times, that the New Yorker described it because it says she was initially uncertain. And maybe it's like, you know, I think it was him. I'm 95 percent sure, but I just need to, you know, think it over and talk to some people. It's, it's unclear. There are no quotations from her in the New Yorker story. And why that is, it's unclear. I mean, was that conversation on background or was it on the record? If it's on the record, you would think that they would uh, provide those quotations to to show the degree of uncertainty certainty in her initial conversation. But the fact that she was saying that privately to fellow classmates uh, in the past week after 35 years and this email has been circulating around, that just that, that says a lot about the, uh, the the strength of the sourcing on this. Now, now the, the, the news peg that the New Yorker chose to go with was that Senate Democrats were looking into this. They were taking it seriously. That was kind of their 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 attempt to you know come up with a, a, a news value. And then, of course, they put this out without the corroboration and immediately Democrats jump on this. And Senator Dianne Feinstein says we need to delay the, uh, all the hearings uh, as a result of all of this. Uh, what, what, what is the sentiment? I'm, I'm, you know, I, the, 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 I mean, I'm watching sentiment, you know, on, on, on the right, which seems to be universally underwhelmed by the story and really may, maybe even, um, uh, more adamant in, in their um, outrage about the the attempt to smear uh, Judge Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, how how is this playing politically on Capitol Hill? You know, I've been trying to figure that out. Uh, Arkansas Senator Tom mm-hmm. Cotton uh, tweeted out saying that we need to vote this week, but obviously, uh, with 51 votes at the end of the day, it comes down to whether two Republicans want it affect, whether that's Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski or Jeff Flake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been reaching out. You know, it'll it'll depend on how this all comes comes out. You know, how do the Thursday hearings go? Do the her- Thursday hearings even happen? Okay, uh, so is is there the, the here, here we are because it is 2018. So Michael Avenatti, uh, who rose to fame as Stormy Daniels' uh, a, a attorney, put out a really graphic email. Um, actually, wrote it to, uh, to to Senate officials. You know, uh, li- listing a series of uh, allegations. Apparently, that he he has not provided any evidence of the allegations, um, but you know, suggesting that uh, Judge Kavanaugh might have been involved in some sort of or or witnessed or been associated with some sort of a gang rape, a you know, pulling a train on a woman. Go look it up. Um, is there concern that that there might be something else out there, either true or not? I mean, just the 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 the, the atmosphere seems so heavily charged at the moment that all you need is one more credible 
allegation to really you know put the brakes on this is, is that the sense well the, the question is define credible you know yeah, that well, that's exactly. been that's been you know what what does credibly accused mean i what i don't know that's an excellent question <laughs> i mean it seems it, it seems to me that uh, a a witness who uh, or an allegation that is made without um, any corroboration, which would have to be somebody who was right either in the in the room uh, or immediately told afterward. I mean, how do you define corroboration? All this. I mean, that's that that seems to be. It, it seems to be everybody's running with this idea that if the allegation is made. Uh, and it sounds like uh, and it isn't obviously fabricated, you know. Right, isn't. right, exactly. If there's some question about whether or not it's true, then then it must be true, or that we have some sort of obligation to believe any accusation, um, sort of at face value. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Did it? Yeah. Did anybody read uh, "To Kill a Mockingbird"? Just on that, we we need to believe every allegation. I believe um, there. And, and, and then there's also the sense of collective guilt because there are some drunken prep, uh, you know, prep, you know, schoolboys who behave badly. Um, therefore, Brett Kavanaugh may well have. Um, you know, look, this is not a matter of collective uh, collective guilt. It's either him and this factual, either did this or he did not do this. Um, this is, uh, you know, and and Michael Avenatti, I, I would assume that everybody at this point is taking this with a great deal of a, a grain of salt. Um, and, but, but his, his charges are seem, you know, somewhat specific, but again, who, who knows? Let's, let's just move on to well, this. They're not specific. There, there's no, yeah. there's no names no, attached to any of this. So no, I do no, think no, but, it's but irrespons- irresponsible of, to, to yeah. put that out there without, without, no, without having anything more on it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, what, what the F's stood for, the multiple F's, um, and all of that, which I'm, believe it or not, I had. Not on this podcast. We're not going to read this. Well, yesterday um, on uh, Jake Tapper's show, you had uh, Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirono, who has uh, really kind of made a name for herself. She's become the, you know, it is interesting. The people who are the the the, the most extreme and blunt, of course, on either side, suddenly become uh, uh, suddenly become celebrities. And she said, you know, that men need to what was it, uh, shut up and 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 step up or something last week. That was, of course, uh, made her kind of a heroine. And then she goes on Jake Tapper. And um, Tapper asked her um, this sort of fundamental question that we've been talking about, which is what what is the standard of proof? What is a credible accusation? And and you know, isn't Judge Kavanaugh entitled to some presumption of innocence? And uh, this is this is how it went. Let me just play the soundbite. Yes. Doesn't Kavanaugh have the same presumption of innocence as anyone else in America? I put his denial in the context of everything that I know about him in terms of how he approaches his cases. As I said, his credibility is already very questionable in my mind and in the minds of a lot of uh, my fellow Judiciary Committee members, the, the uh, Democrats. So he comes and, you know, when I say that he's very outcome driven, he has an ideological agenda, uh, very outcome driven. And I can sit here and talk to you about some of the cases that, that exemplifies his, in, in my view, inability to be fair in the cases that come before him. This is a person that is going to be sitting on our Supreme Court making decisions that will impact women's reproductive choice. He has a, he very much is against women's reproductive choice. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you two very important cases in which he applied the same standard but came to totally different results to, to make it much harder for women to get this kind of coverage. So there's, there are uh, you know, so many indications of his own lack of credibility. It and sounds to me that like you're saying because you don't trust him on policy, 
and because you don't believe him when he says, for instance, that he does not have a, an opinion on Roe v. Wade, you don't believe him about this allegation about what happened at this party in 1982. Is that fair? Well, without the, this is why it is so important that there be at least an investigation so that there's some uh, effort at collaboration. Okay, now Michael Warren, is it unfair to say that what she just said was that she's not going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he is a conservative? To, to say that she is going to believe an accusation of attempted sexual assault because she does not like the way he rules on cases? Is that what she is saying? It's not unfair. That, that's exactly what she's saying. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it's notable on MSNBC this morning, um, uh, Richard Blumenthal, the Democratic senator from Connecticut, was asked essentially, do you agree with with uh, Maisie Hirono's, uh, uh, you know, uh, justification for this for this point of view? And he said in many different words that, uh, of course, it's uh, essentially, yes, that, that that his views and his uh, his views on 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 uh, on judicial philosophy and rule on cases um, uh, calls into question a lot of these. I mean, when the when the rhetoric on uh, sort of originalist or or conservative uh, jurisprudence is that uh, it is um, you know an attack on women's health, um, I mean, this is kind of the next step for this is the, the kind of dumbest version of of an argument um, that I think misses uh, all sorts of uh, sense of uh, we know this is not a a criminal case and the burden of proof is lower, um, but sort of misses the the spirit of 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 our uh, system uh, when it comes to criminal justice and finding yeah. out the truth of these things, which is presumption of innocence. Evidence has to be uh, uh, has to be delivered here, and that uh, the 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 guy's personal views or or views on on the judiciary really don't come into play at all. And there has to be I, some I, I, standard. I, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's not it's not burden, beyond a reasonable doubt. You know, it can even be lower than a civil case, but there has to be some standard here. And you've got to put Hirono's comments in the context of what we had learned 12 hours before she went on air. And that was that the fourth and final alleged witness of Dr. Mm -hmm. Ford's, mm -hmm. uh, this alleged party, uh, said she doesn't know Brett Kavanaugh and never recalls being at a party with Brett Kavanaugh with or without Dr. Ford. And now why this witness was so credible or potential alleged witness is that uh, she's a woman. Her name is Leland Kaiser. She is a lifelong friend of Dr. Ford's. Uh, she is a, she's given money to Democrats. She has, uh, you know, she's Bob Beckel's ex-wife. Um, she says even, well, I uh, the Washington Post reported she thinks that the, the accusation is credible, but that's not a factual statement. That's why this accusation, this, this, testimony or this statement from her was so important. And so talking about what makes an allegation credible or not, you know, you could even discount the other allegations. Obviously, the, the two other people uh, said to have been at the party by Ford um, were both friends of, uh, of Kavanaugh's, one of whom is an alleged accomplice. Uh, so you could dismiss their their denials, but the fact that a friend of hers, a woman, uh, said she has no recollection of this party, I think that was incredibly important, and now it's been overtaken by the New Yorker story, but that was that was what we learned right before Hirono went on air, and instead of trying to discuss the facts and why this specific allegation was credible, begins talking about his judicial views. Well, Charlie, Let's go back can... to Hirono's comments, because, yeah. you know, yeah, it's the dumbest form of the argument, but in, 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 as she goes on, it's very clear that what she's essentially saying is that if you are pro-life, uh, if you don't think that Roe versus Wade was was properly decided, then you must be capable of any assault on women. You must be capable of anything. You you are by nature. And this is this is not just dumb. I think it is really, really toxic. But it's also a continuation 
of of the kind of politics that we've seen, I would say, at large, but also in the Kavanaugh hearings, is that it's not enough to disagree with somebody politically, that you have to demonize that person, that that a disagreement about legal philosophy then becomes an indictment of your character. And this, this I think, is the, one of the most toxic things in American life today, that, that you and I cannot uh, disagree on some sort of, uh, you know, social policy, fiscal policy, without the other person being a horrible, vicious human being um, about whom I'm prepared to believe the worst possible things. Well, it's also and, a, and again, it, this, is, this is not making a judgment on the man, but but if this is the standard, this is a United States senator who is now becoming a hero on on the left. Is this now going to become the, the standard that, that any conservative, we will believe any uncorroborated, unsubstantiated allegation against a conservative because they are a conservative? Well, this is what you were getting at earlier a bit, Charlie, which is the idea of sort of collective guilt, right? That 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 because uh, these people hold these views, um, anybody who, who holds those views is sort of guilty of being a terrible person. Um, and, and it just goes so against our our sense of um, of judging, you know, individuals and individual actions and individual evidence in particular situations um, there. But there is this kind of creeping sense that um, certain people are kind of asking for it, right? That, 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 you know, that, that men, for instance, because mm-hmm. so many men over the years have gotten away with some pretty awful behavior in the workplace. Um, uh, clearly there have been situations where men have gotten off easy um, for, uh, for uh, rape or for sexual assault, things like this. And so sort of almost as a punishment for those, those past uh, uh, miscarriage, you know, uh, miscarriages of justice that, um, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, we, we just need to throw out all those other rules of evidence and all those over, uh, other rules of uh, presumption of innocence in order to right this wrong. Um, and, but I think, you know, we all know from learning from our parents uh, when we were little kids, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. And um, it's really pretty disturbing. It is. I'm going to read from the, uh, the Weekly Standard editorial this morning. Uh, the Kavanaugh Wars aren't actually about uh, assault. Uh, referring to uh, Senator Hirono's comments, it was a chilling admission Hawaii's junior senator believes a man is guilty of a crime because of his worldview and his judicial philosophy. Still, it beats the feculence flung by her fellow Democrats and their allies in the media. I wanted to read that because you don't see the word feculence a lot. Are we going to have to bleep um, this uh, podcast? I, I, I don't know what that word means. Feculence. Well, it's, you, 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 you start off with, with the FEC and you probably get an idea that, you know, what you're talking about here. If, uh, if only more of them would say what they so obviously think, that Kavanaugh is guilty because he doesn't share their views. And this is the danger that if it is a, and, you know, I, you, you know, when, when you say that, that let's, let's, you know, take a deep breath, soberly assess the facts as they are known that you're 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 almost off topic because clearly this has now become ideological. I mean, you know, obviously, that if you don't like Brett Kavanaugh, you don't want him to be a a, a justice because of his his judicial conservatism. Um, you, you're going to seize upon this this assault allegation as opposed to really focusing in did this happen or did this not happen? Now, I will say, and feel free to disagree with me on this. That the Democrats do have a legitimate point when they say, at this point, if this is an important issue, if the answer to this is right, why not reopen the FBI background check? Not as a criminal investigation, but as a background check. And the reason I bring this up 
is because it is one thing for someone to make a unfounded statement to Ronan Farrow or Jane Mayer um, or to Michael Avenatti. It is something very different if the FBI sits down with them and says, would you tell us um, what your story is? In a lot of ways, reopening the background check, and again, I don't think it's going to resolve the truth or falsity of the allegations, but in some ways it would be in Brett Kavanaugh's interest to make sure that 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 if someone is going to make an allegation, that they make that allegation to the FBI, you know, with all of the legal risks that that entails. So why not? What is the strongest argument against reopening the background check? Well, I think the strong I think you make a good point. Uh, but the strongest argument against it is that all of the alleged witnesses have already issued statements uh, to the Senate Judiciary Committee, all of which are tied to penalties, uh, I believe, up to five years in jail if you lie uh, to the Senate Judiciary Committee. But, you know, I think that from Kavanaugh's perspective, you could argue that, uh, you know, given given the statement of Leland Kaiser, the female friend saying that she didn't know Kavanaugh, that she was never at a party with Kavanaugh and uh, and um, and Dr. Ford, uh, you know that. From one perspective, you might think that they might be better off if you had this. I think the other reason they yeah. don't want this, obviously, is that uh, they're under the presumption now that. Any any accusation can be floated and then delay delayed another week with you know an FBI investigation a week or two, and you know what we're seven weeks from the midterms you know uh, eight more weeks after that until there's a new Congress. Um, I think if Democrats get the sense that they can by any accusation delay this um, vote by two weeks, you know they'll just keep they'll just keep throwing th- stuff out there no matter how thinly sourced, no matter how substantiated. But given given the fact that all the alleged witnesses named by Ford now say that, I think that there could be. Um, some value or some some benefit to to Kavanaugh in terms of clearing his name, getting more details from them. I think it's pretty obvious the reason they don't want uh, you know uh, Mark Judge, the alleged accomplice, according to Doctor Ford, uh, who who denies recollection of this party and says he never saw Kavanaugh act that way. Is he has very uh, you know very uh, checkered uh, past, uh, alcoholism and um, immorality, and he's written about that. Uh, so I think that they don't want him on the stand uh, and connecting him with Kavanaugh. Not, well, he's, not a char- he's not a that. good character witness for for for, for Kavanaugh. Now, is there any doubt in either of your minds that this these hearings will take place on Thursday? A lot of doubt. Yeah, I think right now okay. Diane Feinstein has said that we need to hear all allegations. And if they don't, that's just, I mean, if they don't go forward on Thursday, I don't know what Republicans will do. I think that there is intense pressure among most of the conference to ha- hold this vote. Uh, Monday, I believe, is the first day of the Supreme mm-hmm. new Supreme Court uh, session. And so, but again, if, if two Republicans say that they're not comfortable or they're going to vote no, uh, they can't move forward. And obviously, um, I mean, I think it would be good for Kavanaugh. I think you do want a public hearing here. I think you want Dr. Ford to speak publicly. You do yeah. want him to speak publicly. And maybe maybe you'll never know. Maybe simply that the standard of burden of proof uh, isn't met. Maybe uh, he seems credible and she doesn't. Maybe it's the other way around and he seems... And she seems very credible and he doesn't. And you don't want him there. You don't want that cloud hanging over him. So I think that Republicans right now, they they, they should want this to go forward. Uh, if Democrats say no, you're I don't right. know how they'll respond. No, you're absolutely right. There, there, there are no good scenarios for Republicans at, at, at this point, but that's the least bad one. Uh, I do think that any impression that they have ignored her or rammed this through with undue haste um, would just have the, the tail on that would be extraordinary. OK, so. Uh, it's not just enough that we have uh, a brewing 
this 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 drama about the Supreme Court. Uh, we now have reports, uh, conflicting reports, uh, about uh, the firing slash resignation of Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, which would of course put the entire uh, Russia investigation, the Mueller investigation, in, into question. I want to talk about that, but first. The Daily Standard podcast is brought to you today by ExpressVPN. Look, with all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where your data goes. I worry about that. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email puts your private information at risk because you're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. That's not paranoia. That's just reality. Not only can they record your browsing history, but they often sell it to other corporations who want to profit from your information. Well, that's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. Look, ExpressVPN has an easy-to-use app that runs seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, and your tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes a single click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month, and it's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So, if you ever use public Wi-Fi and you want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is the solution. If you don't want to hand over your online history to your internet provider or data resellers, ExpressVPN is the answer. I mean, think about it. Someday, you might be nominated for the U.S. Supreme Court. And there'll be people looking through your browsing history. I don't think that'll work out. So you can protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash standard. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash standard for three months free with a one-year pack package. Visit expressvpn.com slash standard to learn more. Okay, now speaking of what we know and what we do not know, as we are talking, as we are recording this podcast, Michael Warren, do we know what happened at the White House with Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein? As we were recording this podcast, I got a text from a source at the Department of Justice uh, who informed me that uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein is still the deputy attorney general. So there's no news. There's nothing to report. It's we're, we're done. We can end the podcast now. It's it's, as, it's all as, over. As of, as of one, what is it? As of one oh six p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. Just so so by the time you listen to this podcast, things may have changed. Yeah, that's right. true. But but actually, this it, there was this flurry of uh, of reporting and activity, and Rod Rosenstein did go to the White House and is now returned to the Justice Department, and people were reporting that he had resigned or that he was going to resign that he was going to offer his resignation or that he was going to get fired or something and um i guess after all of that sound of fury uh he remains but we do know now uh from the white house press secretary sarah sanders has said that rod rosenstein and president trump who today is in uh, new york at the united nations will meet on thursday at the white house um, so we get to do this all over. As you say, Charlie, we get to do this all over oh again on Thursday, 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 Thursday. That's, of course, the day of the of the alleged hearing. So let's give a little background because you had some interesting reporting on this. This all began with a, again, a New York Times report, um, which was highly controversial because it reported that 
Rod Rosenstein had what uh, suggested uh, to uh, Andrew McCabe that he wear a wire and that he allegedly had seriously discussed uh, invoking the 25th Amendment to remove Donald Trump as president. Um, If those allegations were true, then obviously it does raise questions about whether he could remain in office. But what did what did you hear and what did you report over the weekend? Yeah, the uh, the New York Times comes out with that story, and and again, it really did read like a bombshell. You know, Rod Rosenstein yeah. suggested that you know he would spy or somebody should spy on President Trump with a wire and the Twenty Fifth Amendment. Everybody was talking about this pretty much early on uh, in the Trump administration that the Deputy Attorney General was was trying to uh, uh, recruit cabinet members for this. Um, and then the Washington Post had a story, and um, I talked to a couple of sources who kind of gave another side of what the Times reported. Uh, and there was a, it was suggested that Rosenstein's comment about a wire was uh, a joke, a sort of sarcastic remark that it was actually, and this is from the Washington Post's um, uh, coverage of this point from from their own sources, that um, McCabe, who was the deputy FBI director, who's now, of course, been been fired and is coming out with a book and um, uh, has a, is currently having a grand jury uh, investigate uh, his uh, involvement uh, in something to do with the Clinton scandal, uh, 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 rather the Clinton investigation back in the 2016 election. All of that aside, McCabe was suggesting, according to the Washington Post, that uh, there be a investigation launched into the president in particular, um, you know, in addition or sort of superseding the broader Russian investigation. And that Rod Rosenstein's reply to that was sort of a sarcastic, uh, oh, what are we supposed to do? Put, you know, put a wire on the president or have somebody go in there with a wire? Um, what do you want me to do? Um, sort of dismissing the idea with a ridiculous uh, uh, sort of over-exaggeration of, of McCabe's point. I don't know. Um, I can only you know base it off what sources of mine told me, which is uh, that this is something that Rosenstein would be likely to do. But uh, they, that person who told me that was not in the room. Um, mm-hmm. But regardless, it so life, life life lesson: do not try sarcasm around FBI agents. Yeah, don't do don't <laughs> or, or yeah, exactly. Or especially when it involves the president of the United States, um, who has a, a little thing, Charlie, about loyalty. Um, don't don't make jokes like that. Well, I haven't been following this closely, but my only question is why would anyone think uh, that a wire on Trump in private would teach us anything that we don't know from watching him in public? Uh, You know, the argument of all these, Bob, as Mike wrote in his great review of Bob Woodward's book, it's that the Trump behind the scenes is the Trump you see out in public uh, during all these rallies. So uh, to me, it, it sounds very plausible that this was a joke. Okay, now this is important, and this was floating around this morning. All of this this disagreement was he going to be fired? Was he going to resign? Was he anticipating that he would be fired and resign? Uh, you know, um, you know, basically to to preclude that. This is a, dis- a distinction that matters, doesn't it? And I'm just reading a tweet from from Aaron Blake who says, "Look, uh, fired versus resigned matters. Why?" The Federal Vacancies Reform Act gives Trump the power to appoint an acting attorney general if it is a resignation. But if he's fired, it is murkier. So if, in fact, Rod Rosenstein resigns, Donald Trump can immediately replace him without without the immediate Senate confirmation with somebody else who then, in theory, becomes the new head of the Russia investigation. So – a resignation gives Trump everything he wants, whereas if, in fact, he said, look, I'm not going to resign. You're going to have to fire me. 
that changes the situation. Is that your understanding as well? Not quite, Charlie. Okay. I, I think the um, the question about who oversees the Russia investigation is not that clear cut. If Rosenstein resigns, um, uh, I had been told months ago because, of course, we've been discussing the idea of Rosenstein leaving, either being fired or resigned for several months uh, at the DOJ. Um, I was told by someone at DOJ that no matter what happens, that the line of succession, so to speak, of of overseeing the Russia investigation um, would go after the deputy attorney general to the solicitor general, a man named Noel Francisco, who was um, confirmed. It's a Senate confirmed position. Mm -hmm. Solicitor general is essentially the guy who runs the office of uh, the federal government um, or sort of of the judiciary uh, department that that uh, that that argues on behalf of the government in front of the Supreme Court. So Noel Francisco is, an, again, another one of these conservative uh, uh, Federalist Society-affiliated uh, legal guys who's at the Justice Department, and, and that the Russia investigation would fall to him, not necessarily uh, to whoever Trump uh, would would pick to to fill that that gap as a, as a sort of a temporary DAG. So that's what that's what I'm told. Um, but I don't. I, this is un you know untrod ground here. So I don't exactly know um, how that would all play out, and there might even be some kind of power struggle if we got we got to that point. Okay, so just to reiterate, as we are speaking here, everybody seems to be reporting that Rosenstein is staying in the job, that he will meet with Trump on Thursday. Uh, so but boy, can, just mark, mark Thursday in your day as uh, – can't we just spread this stuff out? I mean what, what, is, the, what is the deal with the, with the Trump era that we have stories that would have dominated the headlines for uh, weeks at a time and, and yet they're, they're micro news cycles? You know, I, can, well, can you imagine the system will just explode if, if you have the Supreme Court hearing and a potential firing of Rosenstein on Thursday? It, it will be – it will put the Saturday night uh, massacre to shame in terms of just the explosiveness. But can I say that I, th- I think, Charlie, a lot of what you just described is sort of the sense that, God, it's, it's all happening at the same time. Right. And what's going on? This is, this is I believe, largely a function of uh, the, the guy at the center of all this, who is Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, look at just this story this morning about what Rosenstein was going to do. And this is from The Washington Post. Um, so uh, the the Post reports that Rosenstein has told White House officials he is willing to resign in the wake of the revelations uh, from that that New York Times article we we discussed, um, but it is unclear whether a resignation has been accepted. White House officials said one Justice Department official said Rosenstein was on his way to the White House on Monday and was preparing to be fired, but the official said Rosenstein is not resigning. Okay, so all of that there, I think um, you can trace all of that confusion. Um, to the simple fact that Trump wants to fire Rod Rosenstein, he would or he would like to be rid of Rod Rosenstein. He's unable to sort of pull the trigger on firing him because of all the uh, things that we just discussed about about what that might mean for the Russia investigation. And um, it, it all kind of stems from uh, Trump's insecurities, from Trump's inability to um, uh, to to sort of uh, move on uh, on a decision that uh, he ought uh, to to make. And so what we're left with are a lot of different people with a different from different vantage points who have an idea of what the president yeah. uh, and 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 ipso facto the rest of the people in his, in his administration might be doing at any given time, uh, and uh, and so everybody right. is confused from the from well, the very top. 
And, and and the shadow cabinet is uh, is divided. The shadow cabinet, of course, being hosts on Fox News, uh, where you have you know the usual suspects saying you know get rid of Rosenstein right away. But then you had Sean Hannity, very pointedly saying, "Do not fire anyone." Um, and and I'm guessing that Hill Republicans are just going you know, with their fingers crossed, saying, "We just do not need that." Uh, six weeks before the the midterm elections, I agree. It would be a dis- it would be a disaster, a political disaster for Trump if he did this, which I think is a big reason why he's unwilling to to pull the trigger. Do you agree with that, John? It or, would. I can't imagine. I mean, so right now you're in a position from just I'm, I'm focused on the Supreme Court situation. Yeah. Imagine that Kavanaugh goes down for whatever reason, as we said, uh, two Republican senators decide, or two or more mm-hmm. say they can't, or more something more comes out. Uh, you know. There's going to be a push to confirm somebody new in the lame duck, and I think that there's a strong argument to do that despite the uh, irregular process there because Democrats, obviously, they they delayed this on purpose. They had this information. They could have gone through uh, the anonymous uh, secret uh, you know, investigatory process that's been there. Uh, they chose to drop this, whether it was a staffer who leaked it at the end, whether this was some, you know, I, I don't know, but they, they leaked this information late. They could have investigated it um, early to see if it was if it was substantiated and they could have taken that into consideration and and if they wanted to they could have rejected Kavanaugh in July but they waited they delayed and so I think that there's a good way to persuade people like Lisa Murkowski Susan Collins Jeff Flake Bob Corker that a lame duck vote would be good but if you're talking about that in the context of a potential crisis involving Rosenstein and Mueller I just can't imagine uh, the Senate going ahead and confirming someone in lame duck. Yeah, that that's really a good point. These things do not exist in separate universes. Okay, by the way, speaking of uh, the head-snapping nature of the news cycle, there was a local news report that Maryland police were reviewing a, a second Kavanaugh High School allegation. Uh, but the uh, Maryland police, the local local chief, has just issued a statement a few a little while ago, contradicting that, uh, saying, "Look, Maryland police are not are not reviewing this second Kavanaugh High School report." Which, of course, raises the question, where did that first report come from? And, and you know, is it going to be like this, uh, you know, every, you know, every several hours between now and the end of the week or before they vote on on, on Brett Kavanaugh? So do you, do you sense any interest, uh, John? Um, is, is, is there any sentiment behind closed doors for people to, you know, cut uh, cut Kavanaugh loose and just move ahead with you know, um, um, you know, an, an, another conservative. I mean, there's a long list there. May not have the kinds of issues. Uh, Amy Co- uh, Coney Barrett. Uh, is that her name? Amy? <laughs> I, sh- I should learn all the names now. Um, is there is there any sense, uh, or or do you sense that people are are still rock solid uh, going down with the ship? Well, I think if anything, the New Yorker story probably made uh, Republicans. Uh, or at least the Republican base, uh, more committed to yeah. uh, confirming him that this is such a thinly sourced uh, potential smear uh, that they want to go ahead and confirm him. You know, I think Jonathan Lass had a very good piece just gaming out the different uh, possibilities here, um, talking about, well, if you got somebody who was more conservative, that would make conservatives happy. But I, I think he was probably underplaying the chances that if Kavanaugh goes down, uh, you can't you're not going to get anybody, and we're going to end up with an open Supreme Court seat and a 4-4 Supreme Court until at least 2021, uh, potentially. You know, you don't know how this would exactly shake out. I think from the perspective of simply politics and the future of Supreme Court jurisprudence and how, you know, you don't want any 
cloud hanging over, uh, you know, a justice. Uh, I think if you could snap your fingers and have Amy Coney Barrett on the court instead of Kavanaugh, that would make sense. I just think a lot of people can't abide the idea of uh, these unverified, unsubstantiated allegations being enough to destroy someone's uh, name, reputation, career. Because if you establish this standard for a Supreme Court nominee, you establish it for others, don't you? I mean, you establish it for senators, you establish it for other public figures, other people in the media, and why not people in business and why not people in society in general? If this is what it takes to, and and I'm totally, I I think the Me Too movement has been great in terms of, you know, from Roy Moore, Harvey Weinstein, Les Moonves, multiple accusations, contemporaneous accounts at the time from the person about alleged assaults, alleged harassment. Um, I think that 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 is, you need, in my mind, the way that you describe the standard here that you need is clear and convincing. Clear and convincing evidence, um, not necessarily, uh, you know, obviously not beyond a reasonable doubt or shadow of doubt, whatever you want to call it. That's what you need. You need society to, to know you can't just destroy someone over an unfalsifiable uh, accusation. Well, yeah. Um, but on the other hand, and I, I agree with everything you're saying here, but uh, the, the, uh, the, the, dan- the danger of pushing this through out of sort of frustration is, is high. And also, we're just starting to see a number of uh, local candidates who are blowing themselves up by making um, you know, foolish comments, including the Republican nominee for Senate uh, in North Dakota. Hey, by the way, I just got an email here, from guys, just so you know. Uh, interview available with Kurt Schlichter, author of The Militant Normals, wants to know whether we want to interview. Um, at the, what's, what's the phrase there? Hard pass? I'll let you handle that one, Charlie. Yes. <laughs> Not going there. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. I'm, I'm guessing that um, we're going to be talking again <laughs> relatively soon. Thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again.